Hi everyone and welcome to the News Agent podcast. I'm Susie Lysett, Content Manager at Goodlord. Uh, today we're going to be taking a look at all things energy related, or maybe not all things, that would be a very long podcast, but at least having a look at what the energy market may look like in 2023, how energy bills may fluctuate in the coming year. Um, and we'll also be taking a glance at a new report, the Net Zero Review, just to see what's included in that and see how it differs perhaps from uh, from previous proposals and recommendations that, uh, that landlords and agents should be aware of. Uh, so a few bits to get through. And I'm once again calling on our resident energy expert and director Director of Tenancy Services, Rick Smith, to talk us through. So welcome to the podcast again, Rick. Thank you, Susie. Thank you for having me. (laughs) No problem. Well, obviously, you have joined me a couple of times previously on this podcast. We've talked about the energy crisis before, so we're not going to go into a huge amount of detail um, on the background of that today. Um, But I will, for those listeners out there who want to listen to that and uh, get a bit more information, I'll, I'll include the links in the show notes. But for those that haven't listened to those previous podcasts, Rick, if you wouldn't mind just giving a bit of an introduction of who you are and your background and obviously your expertise and why I'm talking to you about these topics today. Sure thing. So uh, my name's Rick. I'm the Director of Tenancy Services uh, here at Goodlord. Uh, and my background is very much in the energy space from from working for British Gas, setting the price of gas electricity uh, for UK consumers for, for three years, uh, or whether it's from my time at USWITCH as the energy spokesperson um, and uh, yeah, leading on a number of initiatives there, uh, effectively promoting um, consumer interests and helping them switch and save in the times when switching and saving uh, was a possibility, very much the, the energy landscape today is somewhat different. No, exactly. I think if everybody could switch and save today with the save part, then I'm sure everybody would be doing it. And so on that on that topic, um, let's uh, let's take a look at the the energy market. Obviously, you know we have been going through quite some quite turbulent times in terms of where energy bills are. The government stepped in and, and offered various forms of support, um, especially over the past year. For 2023, there have been some new forecasts out there as to where what energy bills are looking like, what energy prices are looking like. So, Rick, if you wouldn't mind perhaps giving a bit of an overview and perhaps some of your predictions as to as to where you anticipate this going over the over the coming months. Sure thing. So uh, let's remind ourselves sort of what, what has happened in brief up to this up to this point, almost like a previously on uh, type uh, type update. So if we go back, if we go back over 12 months uh, on the average uh, energy bill was around £1,200. Uh, that would be gas and electricity. Uh, and that would be for 12 months uh, of spend. But as we have all experienced over the past winter, in particular, if anyone's watching their their smart meter readout uh, over the over, over the recent cold snap, uh, the average bills today are more like two thousand five hundred pounds. Uh, and in fact, they were they were effectively expected to go up much higher, except for the fact that the energy um, the energy bills have been reduced uh, by the government. Uh, almost artificially, effectively saying that this is too much for uh, the UK economy to bear. Um, you know, too much money from people's uh, budgets would go to paying their energy bill and keeping the lights on uh, and and warm, rather than spending on uh, on other things that they also need, including food. So this winter, we've seen uh, average energy bills go up to £2,500, which is as a result of the energy price guarantee. And that's effectively the government stepping in and saying, we're going to reduce the price. But they've also uh, handed out £400 on average, £400 to every household. Um, Now, if you're on a prepayment meter, you'd have been receiving those through the post. If you pay by direct debit, some people will have seen that credited to their account. Some people will have seen their direct debits reduced uh, by about £67 a month uh, between the months of October to March. Um, and some will have actually seen the money credited back into their bank account, seen the, seen the regular direct debit go out and then seeing, bing, uh, 
uh, back comes 66 pounds or 67 pounds. Um, and then there is additional support uh, for those who are more vulnerable uh, or are in receipt of, of benefits. So uh, there has been a whole huge package um, of uh, of measures to help ease the pain uh, of these high costs, both from reducing the price as well as handing money back uh, to consumers. Now, why? Why? Uh, because the wholesale cost of gas and electricity has gone up, uh, gone up as a result of fundamentally concerns that there wouldn't be enough gas uh, in the pipes uh, in Europe uh, in order to keep people warm uh, and in order to keep people uh, with the lights on. However, uh, as a result of a large amounts of initiatives that uh, that in effect Europe uh, and the UK undertook uh, in the summer, in effect we were able to fill up storage in continental Europe and in effect secure a short to medium term uh, supply of gas. Now that included uh, filling up storage, which is more than just big tanks, end up being effectively underground mines or salt mines, uh, filling those up with gas uh, and making sure that those were filled up before the winter at any cost. So there was a quite substantial cost associated with doing that, as well as securing uh, LNG uh, tankers from across the world uh, to come to European ports to offload uh, that liquefied natural gas, is that LNG. Uh, so, you know, it, quite a Herculean effort to, to secure supplies for the winter, but also this winter has been relatively mild. Uh, sort of a luck of the, luck of the draw that uh, there wasn't enormous gas demand during this winter. So that's the picture that we've we've had. And in fact, the sentiment now is that this winter has been solved. You know, there isn't going to be gas shortages this winter. And as a result, the wholesale markets for gas have gone, well, you know, there's all this gas about, um, haven't got any real concerns over supply. And so as a result, this balance between supply and demand uh, is effectively going, well, I'm, I'm not going to pay a premium uh, for for the delivery of that next uh, cubic meter of gas. And so as a result, the prices have fallen. And in the UK, uh, power follows gas uh, is the mantra of the uh, energy trader, which means the price of electricity follows the price of gas, uh, because gas is what we use to generate still quite a substantial chunk uh, of electricity. So what does this mean? What does this mean for sort of the near term and future term? Though I, I can't I can't claim to be uh, the soothsayer of all things, all things prices and all things energy. But what I can do is draw upon uh, the reports that are out there from from trusted sources. So, for instance, Cornwall Insight, uh, who've been going for, I think, nearly 20 years, but have gained quite a uh, good level of profile recently as a result of their their forecasts. So they're actually forecasting um, the underlying uh, energy price cap uh, to go up uh, from April to June to £3,200, uh, with a view that actually it would then start to fall back come July and September to more like £2,200, uh, and then and then pretty much level off uh, at that through uh, to the end of next year. So again, what this what we're seeing is the idea that actually prices could could stay at their high level but then begin to soften uh, over in uh, in as 2023 evolves the government have also said that they're going to make the the uh, the energy price guarantee less generous um, from April and so they're talking about letting it float up to about three thousand uh, pounds in April um, and then potentially taking effectively taking their hands off uh, the tiller from from steering and setting those energy prices and that's part of the you know the government has said this is a very expensive initiative um and one that's costing tens of billions of pounds and one that they are saying they can can no longer afford 
Now, one thing we should be looking out for is is whether there is a statement uh, from the Chancellor Exchequer, uh, either in line with the budget or as part of the spring statement, which is a potentially a giveaway. It's quite possible that actually the Chancellor says, "I'm being so generous. I'm going to make. I'm going to actually retain uh, the the two thousand five hundred pound uh, energy price guarantee that's where we are today, and not let the price go up uh, from April." Now. It sounds very generous and marvellous, but of course, by the time we get to April, May and June, most of us have switched our heating off. And so actually the cost of doing so is actually potentially very, very modest. Um, and so, that, you know, as with most announcements from uh, from the Chancellor, there is often a give and a take, uh, give with one hand and take with the other. And in fact, you know, it sounds great, but actually the impact would be would be very, very modest. So that's the sort of expectation for for the year ahead. But... Uh, the thing to say is that these things are very much subject to change. So the idea that energy bills are softening uh, through 2023 towards the end uh, is all very much dependent upon what we know today. Um, if energy prices, wholesale prices fundamentally change and, and go in the other direction, um, then those estimates for what happens later in the year will also rise. If we were to, let, let, let's be positive then, let's assume that <laughs> things will continue on this sort of uh, the, the downward trend in as much as the prices will start to dip. How do we anticipate this potentially affecting inflation at large? Because obviously the current situation that we find ourselves in, it was exacerbated uh, primarily by these inc- rapidly increasing energy prices. Where do we think there will be, say, at the end of the year into next year in, in terms of inflation, assuming that these prices do 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 as forecast and potentially start to dip towards the Yeah, that's right. So we've got to remember that that the measures of inflation are a rate of change. So and it's it's always measured compared to this time last year. So to 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 work up an analogy, it's like you're driving along in your car uh, and your speedometer is basically saying how much you pay for your loaf of bread, uh, for sake of argument. But if you push down on the accelerator, then the price of bread will go up. But if you push down on the accelerator harder, this is inflation, the pushing that pushing down on the accelerator on the accelerator, then your speed will go up faster. But ultimately, if you stop pushing down on the accelerator, your price of bread is is higher. You're going faster than you, you were before. Um, but your inflation has your acceleration has has eventually stopped and slowed down. Only in the world where we see negative inflation or deflation um, do you actually end up slowing down and the price of things going down. So what we are, you know, there is a certain amount of talks highlighting that we are experiencing effectively a price correction, uh, which is a, 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 a finite period of high inflation before inflation then moves back um, to, to where it was. Now, the Bank of England is saying that they're expecting uh, inflation to uh, begin to return to normal, begin to return to normal in inverted commas there, um, with the view that actually by 2024, they could be getting back to uh, the sort of 2% target uh, that, um, that is their sort of long-term goal. There also is a view that inflation may well have peaked uh, in a, in Q4 uh, 2022, so around the October point, uh, when we started moving back from seeing nearly 11 point uh, inflation to more like 10, low 10s and, uh, and then nine. So um, there is there is data to show that the inflation is, is, is softening, but also remembering that it is a it is a compared to last year fundamentally, one of the bits of um, energy price data that I shared with you is that actually bills could be net bills next winter could be in line with where they are kind of now or slightly lower. And so what that means is comparing um, next winter to this winter, you go, well, it's about the same. So therefore, that suggests a very, very low inflation rate or even no inflation. Whereas we know that this winter's bills compared to last winter is nearly double. 
And so that's that's the sort of the the, the trick of inflation figures is that it is still a compare compared to last year. So the price correction is is likely baked in, um, but uh, the rate of change of those prices is likely to slow. So in theory, we should start to see perhaps a little bit more stability and as much as the prices won't be, uh, they'll still be high, but they won't be increasing quite as rapidly, hopefully giving perhaps, say, salaries time to, to catch up a little bit maybe. Um, but uh, but it does still suggest that perhaps those those energy bills, those those costs um, will, will be quite high for for a while to come. Very much so. And and it's it's the, you know, as I think we talked about before, um, Energy is is when I say the lifeblood, but it is a real uh, ingredient in most things that we make and that we do. Um, and so, where those energy prices are significantly higher, they will feed into um, the cost of things that we choose to buy. Now, we've all heard of stories of the you know the local pubs who are who are struggling with the with the cost of energy, and they're basically you know, there's a number of them saying like, look, you know, my energy bill's gone from five thousand pounds a month, you know, making sure the the pub is heat heated, lit, uh, and the food is well cooked, uh, to something like twenty thousand pounds, and these are real stories. And and where they go, uh, I've got an extra fifteen thousand pounds to recover. Um, inevitably, that means things are going to, the things that they sell are going to cost more, whether it's the pint of beer or whether it's the fish and chips, like. The, there is there is little little escaping uh, the fact that these costs do end up getting passed on to consumers, and that is what um, uh, inflation is measuring. And obviously, thinking about our, our audience today, so you know, sort of the lettings industry. I'm talking about letting agents, landlords. Um, it sounds like there's sort of almost very little for them to to do differently this year. Obviously, that means that their tenants' costs are still going to be staying high. I mean, do you, do you have any advice for landlords, letting agents um, or land, letting agents to pass on to their landlords, perhaps um, in the current circumstances? Uh, I, I would. I mean, fundamentally, it is all about uh, open communication about uh, how people are are finding uh, the increases in, in costs uh, for day-to-day goods. So if um, you know, if your tenants are struggling or hinting at the fact they're struggling or you think they might be struggling, um, there are a number of sources of, of help uh, available to them. So getting that getting that line of communication working um, is, is really key and really important. So, for instance, um, you know, energy companies are obliged to be supportive um, of their consumers if they are struggling to, to pay. So whether that's about agreeing a payment plan, uh, whether that's changing the way that they pay uh, for their energy, um, or even whether it's about um, making, uh, as Octopus Energy have, making electric blankets uh, available to their consumers because it is it is cheaper and more effective to to heat the body uh, with an electric blanket than it is necessarily uh, to heat the whole house. And and so it, you know, these are these are just examples of um, of measures that are available to. Uh, to tenants uh, if they are struggling to pay uh, their bills. And just a, a small plug for, for what we have on NewsAgent. We do have some free uh, downloadable templates for payment plans and things like that, as well as a downloadable sort of info sheet that uh, that tenants for tenants to share a bit of information about the types of finance and support and so on that may be available to them. So I'll, I'll pop those links in the show notes as well. But perhaps just uh, just one more question, really, on, on this topic of energy. Obviously, as we say, this is a bit of an update and we have talked about this before on the podcast. But bills inclusive tenancies, that's one of the uh, one of the areas where there's been a bit of an impact 
impact with the with the price of energy going up. Where do you think that this will land? Do you think that this will start to come back in? Um, obviously, the idea of it, it does grant some stability to tenants in as much as they at least know what it is that they'll be paying for their energy. Do we think that the, the demand for that is still there? And do we think that landlords will start to bring that back in and see that as a viable option in the near future? Or do you think that's still quite, um, you know, perhaps... A, yeah, a I, that's, that's a great question. So we've definitely seen some of the more prominent uh, uh, bills included uh, third parties begin to actually exit the market and generally step back. So Unihomes uh, and Glide are examples uh, of providers out there who have effectively let their customers down um, almost across the board. And uh, and that was actually one of the things that we identified relatively early on, which is you know, a little bit of a, a plug for Good Lord products here, which is which is why we introduced uh, an, an all bills included uh, proposition direct to the tenant, so that the tenant is able to take out that proposition as though actually I do want a bills package, um, and that is the price I'm I'm happy to pay. Uh, let, let's go for it, and we've seen great uptake uh, of that by. Uh, by tenants. And that's because there is that demand exactly to the lines that you you talk about. Now, are we going to see the likes of um, of Glide, Unihomes uh, and and their and their uh, and their like coming back into the market? I think there there is there is a there is a chance. There's a chance that they try to dust off the old proposition, which I think is is slightly worn. Um, but with the with the calming of the storms in the energy market, it is likely that fixed prices uh, and good fixed prices are likely to come back to the market. Um, whether uh, whether those third parties are, are introducing those or not is, is another question. Uh, but you know, we definitely, we've definitely seen that it's become a lot less attractive to offer all bills included because of the volatility, because of the, the rising in energy costs. You know, if that's not factored into the, uh, to the rent that's been agreed, then it's quite possible that, that the landlord or whoever's managing uh, that bills included uh, tenancy ends up effectively uh, having to make a loss having to pay out more than they're collecting um on the on the utilities and that's really not a position they almost be in but as costs are coming down um and are more stable uh, you'd like to think that that becomes um a little bit uh, less volatile and potentially um more attractive than it has been in the past few months Fantastic. Well, I think that that's that's quite a good overview of of where we stand currently in terms of the energy market and energy bills and things for uh, for you know and what what landlords and agents should be should be considering for the coming few months. Um, but obviously, in the midst of this energy crisis, we it is also a moment where the government has got uh, a number of targets uh, to achieve uh, net zero by twenty fifty, um, and there has recently been the publication of a net zero review. Um, so, former energy minister Chris Skidmore he, he published this report, um, essentially outlining some recommendations for the government and in terms of what they could consider to help them achieve this target. Um, obviously, it is quite a big report. We're not going to cover all of the points today, but there are some which I think would uh, obviously affect. Uh, uh, the lettings industry, um, landlords, letting agents more than others. Um, so just just um, to sort of dip into that really and just take a look at what it is that, that's been suggested. Um, one point which I think is obviously it has been uh, proposed previously and it's been reiterated in this report is the idea of um, rental properties requiring an EPCC rating by 2025 on all new tenancies and then that will apply to all tenancies by 2028. Um, what the report highlights is the fact that obviously this isn't legislation as it stands, it mm. is just a proposal. What, what are your thoughts on 
well, whether we think that this will actually come into play, um, perhaps by uh, by these dates, um, do we think that this will be pushed back, bearing in mind that it's only a couple of years away, really? And do you think that it, it would be feasible, really, to um, for landlords to be looking at upgrading across the board, <laughs> upgrading all new tenancies to EPCC by 2025? Yeah, so I mean, let, let's try and take this in two parts. I mean, one part of me is, is going to look at... Um, fundamentally the, the benefits of moving uh, to a more energy efficient home, um, both from a landlord's perspective as well as from a tenant's perspective. So EPC band C is not best in class. You know, we're talking about EPC A, uh, very much where we are. Um, and actually the average rented home is at EPC D currently. So not, not enormously far off, but these are averages. There are clearly going to be um, uh, very drafty um, cold homes out there that are still being rented, as well as the best in class uh, eco homes um, at A and, and above. Research by uh, consulting firm E3G has, hi- has highlighted that actually the new energy efficiency standards would save renters on average £570 per year uh, if all rented homes were up to band C. And you sort of go, OK, well, well, what's that about? And the reality there is that it is, it is more cost effective, it's cheaper to heat uh, and live in a home uh, that, is, that is more efficient. And that is money that, c- that is then money in the tenant's pocket uh, and means that they are more able to or less likely to default uh, on paying their rent. So you could very much see that improving the quality uh, of uh, the insulation uh, in rented properties uh, helps the landlords make sure they get their rent. Uh, that is one, one, one way we could be absolutely talking about, about these. But also, we have seen in this, uh, in this energy crisis that people are very much uh, reducing the amount that they are heating their homes by. And that then has negative uh, consequences potentially for their health as well as for the quality of the property. And so we're talking about uh, which about damp or really mold as a result of condensation. So poorly heated and ventilated properties uh, end up uh, with black mold uh, and condensation on the walls which ultimately uh, degrades the quality uh, of, uh, of the building stock uh, and damages the health of the, of, the, of the occupants. Now, there is always a bit of a tussle as to whose responsibility that is. Why isn't it being heated and ventilated appropriately? Uh, but then there's also the question as well, why, well, why is the property so cold? Um, should, uh, should the property be getting that cold in the first place if it's heated uh, at an adequate level uh, to begin with? And this is then comes back to, again, the, the quality uh, of our building stock in the UK. We very much need, uh, you know, if we look at how we compare to the rest of the rest of Europe, uh, as a prime example, uh, the UK is amongst the worst uh, when it comes to uh, the rate at which our houses lose heat. So um, moving to EPC uh, level C, uh, I think, is, is fundamentally a good thing. It can be achieved with double glazing. It can be achieved with uh, loft insulation. It can be achieved uh, with energy efficient light bulbs. Not all of these measures have to be costly uh, or, or very expensive. Even making sure that the boiler is a level A or A plus uh, when it comes to the efficiency uh, of the condensing boiler. So there's a lot of things that can be done in a relatively straightforward fashion um, in order to, to get to, to level C. Now. That's all the benefits about why we should do it. And we should, you know, absolutely a, a consistent and a planned uh, investment in our properties uh, to make sure that they are hitting that standard uh, over time is what we should all be pushing for uh, and supporting and encouraging. Now, on the other hand, uh, we have a, a piece of legislation that has been talked about, uh, but not delivered. Uh, and we are effectively rapidly running out of time for this, um, this piece of legislation to come into effect um, in order to uh, actually have any teeth. 
it's very much, you know, we're very much in the ambition stage uh, where the government minister comes on the radio and the television and says, our ambition is to deliver X, Y, Z, maybe even ambition to build so many houses uh, for which they consistently hit, uh, consistently miss uh, those those ambitions uh, every year. But what we are waiting for is uh, is that piece of legislation to bring that into force. And that's not yet present. And there is a view, which I don't want to emphasize too much, there is a view that time has effectively run out to bring that in uh, for to be enforceable from 2025. So I wouldn't take that as a as a uh, a free pass. Uh, but what I would say is that uh, it's possible that that uh, 2025 deadline will slip. And of course, there, there are other proposals that the government's put out previously um, around the use of heat pumps versus gas boilers, um, and obviously sort of phasing out the use of gas boilers, in fact. Yeah, this comes back to Skidmore's uh, mm. net zero review. And, and I think I, what, the one thing I do want to say about, about this is that this is a uh, this has come from uh, so Chris Christmore, um Conservative MP, uh, effectively undertook this net zero review to understand is net zero a good thing or not for this economy. Now, some of his colleagues are expecting him to go, yeah, you know, this is costing loads of money. Why would we do this? You know, there is always the the, the story of, well, you know, the UK is only one and a half percentage points uh, of worldwide emissions. Why does it matter what we do when China is out there um, and America is out there um, effectively uh, producing over 50% um, of worldwide emissions? But the, rea- but the fundamentally, Chris Skidmore's conclusion was net zero is a net benefit to the UK economy because we are already leading the way on offshore wind. Uh, and actually, we are beginning to now export that, uh, that knowledge and experience to other countries, uh, including to the United States, when it comes to, well, how, how do we do this? Now, we also, uh, three years ago, uh, pioneered the first floating wind farm. So this is not a wind farm that's planted on the bottom of the sea, uh, but instead is floating and anchored in place. Uh, and that is also more technology that we are exporting across the world. Um, and the UK is also seen as somewhat of a poster child when it comes to disconnecting uh, our carbon emissions as a country from our GDP. So it's very unusual to see a country being able to reduce emissions whilst also grow its economy uh, at the rate that we have done. And so, again, we are we are a textbook uh, example of how to reduce carbon emissions whilst grow the economy uh, and uh, and deliver uh, for the population when it comes to you know energy needs. The recent price, yeah, it's very important that we separate uh, net zero from the recent uh, energy crisis. The current energy crisis has been caused by fossil gas supply. It is not about the cost of winning, running a wind turbine. In fact, the 12 gigawatts of uh, wind that has been, uh, has been effectively uh, signed off uh, in the past 12 months will reduce bills rather than increase bills. There's also stories in the press of the fact that the, the latest wind farm um, uh, uh, certifications and licensing that's been issued will return an additional £1 billion per year for three years as a result of uh, the fact that those licenses have been sold uh, for uh, electricity generation. So net zero is a net positive. And in fact, uh, Chris Gidmore's recommendations come down to the fact that actually some of these things we should be doing faster, not slower. Uh, and one of those uh, prime examples uh, was about gas boilers and the gas boiler phase out plan, which is the idea that instead of legislating for 2025, we should be encouraging it by 2033. 
And this is the idea that you know, gas boilers, uh, what you put into that boiler is, is, is methane. It's gas that's being pumped uh, from below the sea. Uh, and if you burn that, you produce carbon dioxide. There's not really much, much escaping from that. Other conclusions that are also being drawn is that hydrogen is not the panacea. So, yes, you could replace uh, the gas in pipes with hydrogen, um, and you can then burn that, uh, much like you do methane. But you end up having to replace all of the pipes between um, between where that hydrogen is, is, is created and where the boiler is, including in the house. And so this is the other thing. You know, can, can we all imagine having to replace the gas pipes in all of our rented properties um, uh, in order to be able to put hydrogen through them? It would be enormously expensive uh, and enormously costly. And in fact, some of that cost is already being borne uh, by the UK. Um, when it comes to some of the trials that are being being run on hydrogen. We, we also have to go, OK, well, what's the alternative? Uh, and one of the alternatives is what's called a heat pump, which is the idea of, in short, you've probably heard this line used before. It's like running a fridge in reverse. A fridge makes a cold, it makes the inside cold and the little radiator at the back warm. But what if you switched the other way around and made the outside cold but the inside warm well there you've got a house being inside and warm and the outside air being made cold and all it's doing is moving the heat from one place to another now there is a there is an age-old debate which does does run on and on both on social media as well as um in the house of commons and other places which is about well should we do hydrogen or should we do heat pumps and the reality is that if you've got one unit uh, of electricity generated by your wind farm you can use that one unit to create three or four units of heat in your house, or you could use it to create half a unit of heat generated through hydrogen. So then you go, okay, well, hold on a sec, hold on a sec. Well, well you know, if, if, if I can have half a unit of heat in my house, or I can have three, surely I'd rather have three. Uh, and that is the point. So one of the fundamental uh, negatives of the hydrogen versus heat pump debate uh, is that fundamentally the science doesn't stack up in favor of hydrogen. You would have to have six times more uh, wind turbines or capacity from your wind farms um, or electricity generation uh, in order to generate enough green hydrogen um, to compensate uh, for uh, the equivalent um, when it comes to heat pumps. So we've gone down a little bit of a rabbit hole there. But the, the, this is some of the story that, that Chris Kidmore is also telling, which is around net zero is a net positive uh, and that moving faster uh, is more beneficial than moving slower. And it's it's obviously the right time to be having these discussions, really, because if we are looking at um, you know changing UPC uh, to C and so on, landlords do need to be considering all of the different factors, all of the potential costs that may be coming their way if these requ other requirements come in too, um, rather than considering them obviously in silos. Um, you know they all sort of align in the same way and are all aiming towards this uh, this same goal of making properties more energy efficient and so on. So, yeah, it's it's good to discuss them all in the same space, really. It, it is, and and maybe I'll just drop in a bit of bit of consumer consumer advice. Um, uh, for for our listeners, like if you are in the position where you're having to replace uh, a gas boiler uh, or upgrade a heating system uh, in in any property, whether it's your own uh, or whether it's a rented property, um, the question you should be asking your plumber is in effect to design your heating system so that it is heat pump ready. You may not be buying a heat pump right now, um, but what you don't want to be doing is investing a load of money now that is there in effect unwound. Now, there is this amazing um, group of uh, heating engineers who do heat pumps, they do gas, they do uh, oil, um, called heat geeks. 
Uh, now, what I'd encourage you to do is to find uh, it's a heatgeek.com. Um, these are people who have done extra training uh, to understand uh, and to be able to deliver uh, heating systems as efficient as possible. They don't necessarily cost more. They cost less to run, uh, but it is just how the system is configured uh, and set up. Heatgeek.com uh, yeah, will help you find a heat geek uh, local to you across the UK. Uh, there's, a, again, a great bunch of well-trained engineers um, who know just that little bit extra more uh, to help uh, make sure that the heating systems that are being installed are as efficient and set up for the future as possible. Fantastic. Well, I think that that's uh, obviously, as I say, this report is is very much uh, is is quite a big document. So there's definitely more that we could discuss, but I, that's probably a good place to stop there uh, with that bit of advice for for our listeners out there. Thank you once again, Rick, for for joining me on this podcast. Um, very interesting conversation and useful as as always. A pleasure. Thank you, Susie.